0: Charging infrastructure for fleets is often oversized. If you have a single vehicle, it's very easy. You need one charger and you get enough utility capacity. But as you start adding more and more vehicles, you don't necessarily need one charger for every vehicle. Fleet operators were installing far too much equipment for what they really needed for their EV fleet, partly because they didn't have a tool to calculate it. And we're providing that tool
1: Hi, my name is Gareth Thomas from Tangible Computing. This is a podcast about where computing meets the real world. From the fast and the complex, like controlling an engine, to the imaging of a patient or even scheduling an airline. We want to trigger your curiosity by talking to the people behind the scenes of making the modern world happen. Deepening your understanding of where computation plays a role in our everyday lives and motivating you to help engineer a better world. And now... Let's find out how software drives the world. Today on Tangible Computing, we have Andrew Rutgers. He has uh, his own company called ChargeSim, and he's gonna be telling us a little bit more about it today. And the reason we have Andrew on the show is he's my partner in crime and the other co-host of Tangible Computing. And we thought it would be an interesting exercise to interview each other so that you know a little bit about him. And in a future episode, you'll know a little bit more about myself. Andrew, why don't we kick this off with a fun fact about yourself.
0: In my career, I've done all sorts of things. I've worked on uh, solar powered cars, solar powered aircraft, uh, but probably one of the more novel uses of uh, computing was helping to organize a pride parade. So we had to figure out uh, how we could pack in all of the parade floats and the parade groups into this relatively small area that was available to stage up all the parade before it uh, starts. And so we had to do a big Excel sheet where we calculated all of this through. And so that was one of my many experiences in tangible computing and in figuring out how to lay out a, a pride parade. Beyond even just the uh, organization of the parade and how, how the floats are set up, there's also how much alcohol do you need? you got to calculate all of that through and figure out how many beers and how many wines are X-many thousands of people going to drink at a beach party. That's also another application of math with a, a very uh, tangible application.
1: It almost feels that that would be a job interview question to challenge your thought process.
0: (laughs) I I like that actually, but the the math's actually fairly straightforward because people only drink so much per hour. And so if you know head count, then even the uh, liquor control board has a standard you should probably purchase this amount of alcohol for this number of people for this number of hours. I think it's about one per person per hour. Well, it is surprising to see how and where maths is applied,
1: which is part of the reason why we both started tangible computing to help make the world a better place, but maybe to dig a little bit deeper into who you are as a person, tell us a little bit about your company and what you do for a living.
0: So my company is uh, ChargeSim, and the problem that we solve and that we, we recognized is that charging infrastructure for fleets is often oversized. So if you have a single vehicle, and this typically applies to delivery trucks, buses, heavier vehicles than just personal cars. You have a single vehicle, it's very easy. You need one charger and you get enough utility capacity, uh, so the, the grid connection to be able to run that one charger. But as you start adding more and more vehicles, you don't necessarily need one charger for every vehicle, or you may need a mix that you have several small chargers and some larger chargers. And the chances that all of them are all going to be running simultaneously and you're going to demand all of the power that's available to you from the utility gets relatively small as your fleet grows. And so what we were seeing is fleet operators were installing far too much equipment for what they really needed for their EV fleet, partly because they didn't have a tool to calculate it. And so that's what ChargeSim is doing, is we're providing that tool and helping fleet operators to to be able to do the analysis and figure out how much charging infrastructure they're really gonna need And we think that's really exciting because that allows them to save money on their electrification processes. So the charging infrastructure is a big part of the project costs. And if you can figure out that you need 10, 20, 30% less chargers than you thought you did at first, that saves a lot on the project and it means electrification overall uh, is cheaper and you can do it faster. And that's going to be good for the planet because we're getting less CO2 into the air sooner. So that, that's charge sim and, and why I'm motivated to do it.
1: I'd like to double click a little bit on something you just said, which was the idea that calculating the correct charging system or the charges that you need, is this a, a unique type of charger or is there a variation of this? What are the variables that we're looking at when you run these simulations?
0: When you start out with a, a car, they're typically using an AC charger and there's a fairly standard sizes. But then as you get into heavier vehicles, then you move into DC chargers and these are able to deliver a lot more power. They tend to be a lot bigger and a lot more expensive. But if you're running a a fleet vehicle and you're running the vehicle hard, then you need this additional power. And there, there's quite a range in sizes. So you can buy a 22 kilowatt uh, DC charger or you can buy a 450 kilowatt uh, DC charger. The price tag obviously changes quite a bit in between those two and also what you're going to be asking your electric company for between the two. And so figuring out how many of one or the other or several other different sizes you could use can help. There's a second part of it which is coming into the market more now which is a lot of these chargers have multiple outputs. It's not just one charger with one plug that I plug into one vehicle. It may be one charger that can go to any one of three vehicles, or it has modules inside, and those modules can be allocated to three vehicles simultaneously or all altogether towards one vehicle. And so this provides, on the one hand, a lot of flexibility to the operator because you can fast charge when you need and you can slow charge when you don't. But at the same time, how do you size it properly? How do you figure out which one you're gonna need? Even things like the lane layout can make a very big difference in the performance of the overall base and the charging.
1: So taking a step deeper into that, uh, that's the supply part of the amount of uh, energy that you need to supply to your charges. But uh, what are the variables that you need to take into account when calculating the routes of the buses and fleets? And how do you look at that?
0: So the, the big variable in a lot of this is the energy consumption of the vehicles. Obviously, vehicles are using more energy. That's more energy that you need to get into the batteries and you need to refill them. That will vary quite a bit with the vehicles themselves. It can vary with things like topology, so hills. It can vary with driver behavior, even 20%. Variation between different drivers is typical. And a huge one that's often underestimated is the weather. So you can get almost a 40% variation between a a mild day, sort of 12, 15 degrees, compared to a very cold or a very hot day where the air conditioning, the heating system has to run really hard in order to keep the the inside temperature comfortable for the occupants. So all of this makes a lot of uncertainty around how much energy you're actually going to use. The other big part of the calculation is how long you have on base. So if I have a schedule where I'm running vehicles all day, typically work with bus companies, so if they're running a lot of vehicles all day, they have several running as night buses, then there isn't a lot of time for the vehicles back at base to recharge. And again, that means you need faster chargers. Flip side is if you have a lot of vehicles that come back during the day, so some service is very peaky. So you get a lot of buses driving at the rush hours at the beginning and end of the day, and a lot of them come back and you have some time to charge midday. And so then that can give you an opportunity to use lower power chargers. If you wanna add even more complexity on that, we can start looking at utility rates and uh, solar energy. So if I have a lot of solar energy, then that may be available very cheaply during the day. And I may even want to put in more powerful chargers so that I can charge the fewer vehicles that I have on the base off of my solar power to make the best possible use of it and to save myself the most money over the long run. So there's a whole bunch of variables that come in here and a bunch of complicated potential trade-offs to to evaluate. And and that's what ChargeSim is aimed to, to help with. There's a lot of variability and there's still a lot of uncertainty in all of the inputs. Fleets are starting to build up more experience with actually running their fleets and understanding how much energy they're really using and what the real operations are going to look like, but they can still save an awful lot from going from a, you know, one charger per vehicle, a massive overestimate to a significantly um cheaper solution that still allows for generous margin on these input assumptions. And that's definitely part of um, doing this analysis right now, is making sure that there still is margin given the uncertainty and the early stage of the industry, and also, frankly, the uncertainty around how fleets are going to operate. With COVID, we've seen delivery fleets are working much harder. Bus fleets are working much less simply because people are working from home. And exactly how that's going to level out over time is still uncertain. And so leaving a fair bit of margin for growth or not in the future is is very sensible at this point
1: my understanding is you run these simulations with the idea of selecting a charger and having some kind of capacity estimation. I'm assuming this isn't just a couple of watts that you're putting into a, <laughs> into no. a bus no. depot.
0: <laughs> Depending on the size of the bus depot, of course, it can be tens to hundreds of kilowatts to up to megawatts. This is the equivalent of thousands of homes worth of, of energy that's being delivered. So it requires a significant amount of infrastructure. You can get to the point that you need even new substations to be installed. Installed in order to supply all of the new electric vehicles. This is gonna become an increasing problem over the electric grid in the next few years also, as uh, we switch away from gas uh, for heating and uh, cooking, and we switch to heat pumps and induction uh, stoves. That's gonna increase our, our electricity use. Everyone's gonna start having electric cars. That's further gonna increase the electricity use. And this is gonna add a lot of demand to the utility grid. So getting a good prediction of how much you actually need so that you can go to the utility and make sure to book the right amount in for your fleet is quite helpful.
1: Is it a clear ROI for fleet managers to say, yes, let's stop using diesel buses and switch completely to electrified approach? Is it a clear ROI with all this variability?
0: It depends on the location and the fleet, so there's a number of factors there, but we are definitely seeing that the ROI case, the return on investment, is starting to look very good in a lot of places for electrifying uh, bus fleets and also for delivery fleets. Part of it is on the energy cost, and if you're smart about when you draw the energy, and that can also mean you need different faster chargers to use cheap overnight electricity, if you're smart about how you do use the electricity, you can cut your fuel costs compared to diesel. The, with electric vehicles, typically the problem is you have a higher capital cost. So the vehicles themselves right now are more expensive, but the batteries are quickly dropping in price and that you have to buy charging infrastructure. But then your energy cost over the lifetime tends to be lower. The other one we're starting to see is maintenance costs often drop because an electric vehicle simply has a lot less moving parts. If you think about an engine, it's actually a really complicated piece of technology. It's been developed over 100 years. There's billions of them out there. It's probably the most highly developed piece of technology that humanity has. But there's still just a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that can go wrong, whereas an electric motor is comparatively very simple. There's less to go wrong, less maintenance, less vibration, and that also lowers the uh, long-run costs. These
1: buses that you're talking about, how long are they around? Is it like a five-year plan when you do this ROI calculation? Is it longer? Or what is the average replacement rate?
0: It varies on the type of the fleet. For buses, typically at a minimum in the US, it's 12 years because there's some federal regulations that set that as the standard lifespan. In practice, a lot of agencies will be running older buses than that. So even up to 18 years is not that unusual. Europe, Netherlands, it tends to be a bit shorter, partly because of the concession system. The Netherlands operates bus concessions of typically 10 to 12 years. And so that normally becomes the lifetime of the vehicle fleet. Delivery vehicles may be a bit shorter. If you look at passenger cars, average age of cars on the road is around 12 years. So they are quite a long lifespan product.
1: It depends on how big a fleet you are and what distances you are doing, or what was the experience there?
0: It, it still does depend at the extremely long distances, so the long haul trucks that are taking something from let's say the, the port in Los Angeles and they're, they're gonna drive to St. Louis with a, a container. Those kind of long distances, there isn't very much in the market yet that can do that electrically. There isn't the charging infrastructure along the routes. So in those cases, it's not yet cost sensible. You look at other areas, public transit and buses, we're starting to see it that the battery prices are coming down rapidly as you get larger fleets and you can be smarter with the charging. You can take advantage of cheap uh, rates for electricity when there's oversupply from things like solar or wind generation. So you can start lowering your energy costs. Another thing a lot of fleets have discovered is the maintenance is actually cheaper because there's just fewer moving parts in an electric vehicle depending on the fleet, the, the return on investment story is starting to look better for electric vehicles. And we're starting to see some big fleets really jump in on that because they've, they've realized it.
1: And if that is the case, then, and the ROI is there, but what is preventing this transition to happen at a faster pace?
0: Partly, I think it's just outright availability. There is particularly things like electric delivery vans. There's a number of companies that are racing into the market. They haven't delivered a lot of vehicles yet, but they have enormous pre-orders from major distributors that want to get onto electric vehicles simply because the supply is still limited. And part of that is just building up all the manufacturing capacity. There's a bit on key component, manufacturing key components, things like batteries. So that's on the supply side. On the demand side, I think there's also still hesitancy that the fleet operators understand what they're doing very well. They understand their diesel prices, they understand their maintenance, they understand how often they need to plan for oil changes. And to switch to electric, a lot of these details change. They're not necessarily more complicated, they're not difficult, it's just different. And they need to understand and learn and adjust to, to doing that. And that just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of understanding and and building up the, the kind of experience and the comfort levels that they're willing to go full in on an electric fleet.
1: And based on this, do you see the role of governments influencing the pace of which this electrification happens?
0: Governments definitely are playing a role. In a number of areas, we see it uh, definitely in the car market is on uh, uh, tax incentives, this kind of thing for electric vehicles. The Netherlands has very high adoption uh, compared to other countries for electric vehicles, partly because of uh, tax break for company cars and also a very aggressive government program around installing public charging infrastructure to make sure to support all of those uh, vehicles. The government policies definitely implemented it there. I think in the bus space, we also see that many municipalities want to be seen as green. They want to improve their urban air quality and get diesel buses out of the the central business districts. And so there's also a political mandate beyond simply the financial benefit of switching to electric buses. That's also part of why I think electric buses are a little bit ahead of similar size electric uh, trucks is simply because of the the kind of green mandate that municipalities want to support the air quality and they're uh, being seen as a green city.
1: So, based on all these variables from government to complex variability from the fleet size to the trajectory, of the weather, the electricity, the demand, can you maybe dive a little bit deeper in some of the maths behind this?
0: So there's a number of different mathematical approaches to how to solve what are the right chargers to use or what's the way to optimize your electric vehicle fleet. One approach is a time domain. You can think of this as a, a simulator which does things at, at time steps. So you, you, sometimes it's referred to as kind of a digital twin. You create a a virtual bus in the computer, you create a virtual charger, you create a virtual utility, and then you program how they interact with each other. So if the bus is connected to the charger, then the charger can deliver power that is requested by the bus. And you put all of these rules in and then you run it at each minute. And you say, okay, at 1101, the bus is connected to the charger and it's getting this much power that we update the battery and so forth. And then at 1102, a minute later, we're going to repeat all this calculation. And now the battery is a little bit fuller. So maybe it takes a little bit less power because it can't take power at the same rate, irrespective of how full it is, and so we're going to adjust all of this. And and we keep doing this, and this is a lot of math. A computer can do this very quickly, and then we get an assessment of how well our configuration has worked. So that's one approach. Another approach is uh, a constraint solver. And what we do there is, again, we're going to put in rules, but we're going to put in kind of more abstract rules. Like if we're scheduling a, a route, we want to say, well, the driver is only allowed to drive in one go for typically one and a half to two hours. Depends on the, the union rules, this kind of thing. Truck drivers go up to four hours. Public transit, it's often a little bit lower. And then they need to have a break for uh, typically 15 minutes and we we wanna figure out a schedule where the bus goes from one end of the line to the other end of the line and the driver maybe needs to take a break or maybe they can come back to the first end of the line if the line is short enough or maybe they can go off and do a different route. And there's all kinds of constraints here that we can put in. We have a finite number of vehicles We have expectations of how many people want to get from A to B, so how much we're trying to move people around, and we can put all of these into a constraint solver. And the way to think about a constraint solver is this is a giant linear algebra problem. So this is like you learned in high school, if you have an equation where 2x plus y equals four, and another equation that says 3z plus x equals six, And what we've done is all of these rules that I talked about before, we distill them into mathematical equations like that. And then we have a computer go at it and try and solve this. And you probably had to solve for two variables and two equations in high school. Maybe you got into linear matrix math, maybe doing four or five in university. A computer can do this for thousands. And then you can figure out all of the scheduling that's involved. So that's quite a a deeply mathematical problem in solving that. Another mathematical approach that's important here is sensitivity analysis or Monte Carlo analysis. And what we're going to do here is we we maybe have one of these other tools or we, we could even have an equation. And what we want to do is figure out what's going to happen if we change one of these inputs to the equation. Does that make a really big difference in the output? So I've got, I've got all of these different variables that I could change and which ones really matter and which ones are gonna create a problem. So I'm randomly gonna vary each of these inputs and I'm gonna rerun the analysis and then I'm gonna see what that looks like on the output. And I'm gonna get a whole range of outputs and then what I can try and do is figure out how these correlate with each other, and I get a better idea of how how sensitive it is. And it could be that the battery size doesn't impact the performance very much, but the size of the charger on this en route location does influence it an awful lot. And so Monte Carlo techniques can help you to figure that out. Or a common one for that is what happens if a vehicle comes back five minutes late? Because that that never, ever happens. There's never an accident or something in the way and a vehicle never gets delayed by a a traffic jam. So understanding how an approach will perform, even with the the variability that you normally see in life, can also be an important assessment.
1: So it sounds super interesting in a very particular niche area. I'm kind of curious of how did you actually get started into this? Did you one day just wake up, catch a bus and say, I want to be on an electric bus and I don't understand why my city is not doing this quicker and faster? How did you get started?
0: So I I got started working with electric vehicles over 20 years ago now, actually working on solar powered cars. And so I was the electrical lead for the the solar car team that I was on at university. And that meant I learned about charging lithium batteries and actually helped to build some of the first uh, lithium batteries that came into solar powered car racing. We were just charging them with a a large programmable power supply with a couple of knobs. And then you have to take the wires and go put them on. And if you don't adjust the knobs quite right, you get a little spark. And it reminds you that you got to be careful here. It is much, much safer to charge electric vehicles uh, now. So I got started with electric vehicles there, then moved to Los Angeles, got a job doing solar-powered aircraft, left that company to to do a PhD, worked on researching power electronics for a number of years, had a job where I was doing an awful lot of software development. So that gave me the software background. I had the electric vehicle background. And then putting that together, that came to ChargeSim. I've had some, fortunately, some unique experiences in my life that have led me to to be able to do this and to really help accelerate the transition to electric vehicles.
1: It's a very interesting trajectory that you have, Andrew, which leads me to the next question. Where do you go from now? So what what are the next big projects that you've got going on?
0: Well, the obvious one is, of course, tangible computing. So the podcast that we're doing together, I do not have a lot of time for outside activities. I do a little bit of running and a little bit of climbing. We've got the podcast. And uh, then, of course, uh, running ChargeSim takes all of my time. My next challenge is with the company and growing it. The industry is growing rapidly. And so we want to we keep on top of that and just help more people in picking the right charging infrastructure. What
1: triggered you to start tangible computing? What was the the reason for you as a person to kind of meet and interview interesting people around computational needs around the world?
0: So I saw how powerful analysis and math and things like operations research can be in making things more efficient. And if you think about reducing uh, CO2 emissions, often one of the best ways to help the environment is just to use less materials in the first place and you know, or less energy in the first place. And a very good way to do that is just to work smarter. We can work smarter, whether it is you know better control loops, whether it's better planning for deliveries, whether it's better planning for charging infrastructure. And I think there is an enormous role for computing, for math to play in improving the world. And it's helpful to get all of those stories out there that people can understand how they can contribute and how that can be really beneficial.
1: Fantastic. I think this is a really great place to stop today's conversation. And I would like to thank you for joining Tangible Computing and starting it with me. Looking forward to the future episodes. Very inspiring and hopefully triggered a lot of curiosity amongst our listeners.
0: Likewise, looking forward to interviewing you and uh, many more episodes (laughs) ahead. Looking forward to uh, some of the other guests and some of the other uh, insights that we're going to have.
1: This is a great place to stop our conversation today. I wanted to thank you for listening to Tangible Computing. While we have your attention, we really want this podcast to trigger your curiosity and motivate you to engineer a better world. So let us know if you have any ideas for future topics and speakers, or even how to make this podcast better. Just send us an email to tangible at tangiblecomputing